This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by Principal Financial Group, helping to protect your business, your employees, and your lifestyle. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Maryland Senator Ben Cardin and two small business owners joined the Post to discuss the hurdles facing small businesses during the pandemic and ways to forge a path forward. Let's listen. Good morning, I'm Heather Long, an economics correspondent at the Washington Post. And today we're talking about small business. America has over 30 million small businesses and 2020 has been a brutal year as the coronavirus pandemic has kept a lot of customers from shopping in downtown areas. And the global recession has caused a pretty steep pain for a lot of our small businesses. So to discuss the current state of things and what more needs to be done for American small business. We welcome this morning Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland, the ranking member and top Democrat on the Senate Committee on Small Business and Entrepreneurship. Welcome, Senator. Heather, it's really good to be with you and thank you for good to be with you and thank you for doing this broadcast in regards to small businesses. It truly is needed to have a spotlight on their needs. I know you care deeply about small business. Let's get right to it. A lot of disappointment that uh, Democrats and Republicans couldn't reach a deal here on a stimulus package before the election. Uh, what are the chances of getting something by the end of the year? Well, of course, uh, lame duck session of Congress is always unpredictable. So it's going to be very difficult to predict uh, what will happen uh, once Congress reconvenes after the elections. Obviously, there's level to be a new administration in Washington. There's going to be new players in Congress. So it's tough to make a prediction uh, as to what can happen in lame duck. But let me say this. Small businesses really can't wait until uh, January for relief. They're desperate. And if we wait until January, there's going to be literally thousands of small businesses that will not be around uh, to get the help uh, that Congress uh, will ultimately provide. So it's pretty desperate out there. You all talk about small businesses being the growth engine of our economy. That's true. That's where job growth occurs. That's where innovation occurs. But resiliency is not very strong among small businesses, particularly during a national emergencies such as COVID-19. So Congress really needs to step up sooner rather than later to help those small businesses that are in desperate need of help. And what kind of help do you do they need? Is it another round of the Paycheck Protection Program or is it something a little different this time? Well, when we acted in March under the CARES Act, provided some new tools to help small businesses, the largest, of course, being the Paycheck Protection Program. And that was an effort to get money out quickly to as many small businesses as possible that were impacted by COVID-19. At that time, we expected that the pandemic would be gone by now and that our economy would be back on track. Well, obviously, that was not the case. So now we do need a second round of help for small businesses, including a second round of PPP, and also help under the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program, the EIDL program, which also includes grants as a result of the action of the CARES Act. But when we do the next round, we really need to target it to those small businesses that have been really adversely impacted by COVID-19, that have had a significant reduction in, in revenues. We also need to recognize that the smaller of the small businesses have been hit the hardest. So we really need to target and make sure that the smaller businesses are able to get the help quickly, which was not the case with the first round. And then lastly, 
we recognize that the underserved, underbanked community uh, did not have the same type of banking connections that the uh, uh, larger small businesses had. And we really need to make sure that we reach particularly minority small businesses, underbanked small businesses, and those small businesses uh, in uh, challenged communities. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I've, I've heard that a lot as well as I've called around small business owners, just a frustration at how unfair the process was and, and having to apply uh, oftentimes through banks. Um, is there a way to ensure that banks must serve all small businesses so that you know banks would have to process a PPP loan, for instance, even if it's not from their normal customer? Well, in, in March, when we passed the PPP program, it was a new program. We used the 7A loan program as the vehicle, uh, which were commercial uh, financial institutions. Uh, and the, the complaints were legitimate that those uh, small businesses that didn't have an established relationship with the bank had a really difficult time getting a 7A loan. That was a forgivable loan. So yes, there are ways that we can make sure that the underserved communities are properly uh, uh, represented in the loans that are given out. We can do that by uh, walling off a certain amount of the funds for smaller small businesses or for small businesses located in economically disadvantaged communities, or we can directly allocate money to mission lenders that are more likely to reach uh, those small businesses in the, uh, uh, the challenged uh, economic communities. So there are ways that we can make it easier. It's going to be very difficult to try to mandate a bank to do business in certain communities or with certain individual um, uh, uh, small businesses. I think the easier way is to strengthen the tools that we have available in the underserved communities to make sure that they get a fair allocation of the resources. Hmm. One of the questions that I hear a lot from Washington Post readers is people look back at that CARES Act and they say, you know, not all the money has been spent from the CARES Act. So in particular, a lot of people focus on the roughly $190 billion that Congress, you know, in a bipartisan way, allotted to help business. And they, you know, it was part of the money that was given to Treasury and the Federal Reserve. And that $190 billion never got spent and never got used on any programs. And so people say, why can't Congress just take that money that's sitting there, you know, unused at Treasury, and turn around and reallocate it to small business help, which is clearly needed. Uh, would you support something like that? Do you think that's something that could be done faster than January? Oh, I absolutely would support that. Whether it can be done before January, it's going to be challenging. Congress would have to pass a bill, and that has to pass the United States Senate. And Senator McConnell has shown no indication whatsoever of wanting to bring up uh, that type of legislation. But let me go over the numbers. Over $500 billion uh, was uh, actually um, put out under the PPP program. Uh, my most recent figures show we have somewhere around $135 to $140 billion still remaining in that account. Uh, and that, those funds are available, but there's no legislative authority now to incur any additional PPP loans. Uh, and certainly there's no authority for a second round of PPP loans. So Congress needs to act to either open up the PPP program or provide a second round of PPP help or provide additional uh, uh, tools available for small businesses, such as forgivable loans under 
our, our grants under the EIDL program, but they certainly have that money that's available and it should be allocated to small businesses and it should be done now. It shouldn't wait to 2021. Yeah, that's a good point. There's both unspent PPP money from that first rounds, as well as unspent money for larger businesses over at Treasury and the Federal Reserve. So there's multiple pools of money that could be pulled here. Um, you know, you're talking about urgency. I can hear it in your voice and, and, and what you're saying. Uh, Senate Republicans have expressed some openness to doing a smaller, more targeted bill that would focus on small business and the unemployed and maybe some testing. Would you support a smaller bill if it came to that, if that was the only option in, in December? So, so let me make two points about this, Heather. First of all, small businesses need our economy returning to some degree of normalcy and confidence among consumers to go out and participate in our economy. So if we don't provide help to state and local government, if we don't provide help to control the, the spread of this virus, if we don't provide help to our school system so that they can open as, as, as fully as they possibly can safely, it, small businesses are not going to be at the point where they can continue to do their business. So they need a comprehensive response, not just one just tailored to direct federal help to small businesses. One of the most effective ways that we've helped small businesses is providing resources to state and local governments that then use those funds for grant programs to small businesses in their community. That's been very effective in Maryland, and I know it's been effective throughout the country. So as you point out, there are different pools of dollars that become extremely important to help small businesses. So we really need a more comprehensive approach. Second point, I really do not believe Leader McConnell will bring up a bill that would be acceptable for small businesses. We saw them play uh, really a procedural game uh, near the, the end of, uh, of, of, I guess, about a week ago in, in an effort to say we have a cover vote. I think they're more interested in political cover than really providing additional help uh, for COVID relief, whether it's small businesses or larger businesses or our state and local government. So, yes, we'll work with uh, our Republicans on a bipartisan bill. Uh, but we think it should be comprehensive, and we want to make sure that whatever package is available for small businesses, it really deals with those small businesses that really need the help. Hmm. The other issue I wanted to push you on is liability shield. Uh, the Senate Republicans and, and many in the business community would like some sort of uh, protection, legal protection, if they follow the rules, so if they're trying to do generally the right thing to protect workers and protect customers, then in these uncertain times, they say, look, I don't want to face a lot of lawsuits when I'm trying to do the right thing here. Um, how do you weigh those concerns? I know you're, you listen deeply to the small business community, but you also are concerned about workers. Would you support any version of a liability shield? Does that make sense? You know, it's very interesting, Heather. I'm uh, in, out in, in Maryland quite a bit, from mostly virtually, but talking to a lot of different stakeholders. Uh, this issue rarely comes up. It has not been a problem. We're not, we haven't seen a lot of lawsuits that have been filed against businesses in regards to COVID-19. And, and it's clear that we have CDC guidelines. We should be following those guidelines. And I think businesses feel comfortable if they provide the protection as C CDC uh, suggests uh, that they'll protect their customers, they'll protect their employees, 
And there really is not a real risk factor that has been talked about by the Republicans. Secondly, this is an issue that is generally handled at the state level. Uh, liability issues are generally handled locally. Uh, and again, legislatures will be meeting. They can take these issues up. They can deal with them as they're needed in their community. I really think it will delay dramatically um, the COVID relief package if we get into uh, the uh, broad shield uh, of liability, uh, particularly as we are trying to protect workers and customers. We want to make sure that certain guidelines are followed. So it's not as easy as it sounds. We're always open to suggestions, but I really do believe this has been put out there as a way to make it more difficult for us to get the relief out that's needed. Let me ask you another one that I get a lot. Do you think the Federal Reserve's Main Street Lending Program, so what they created over the summer to try to help small and mid-sized businesses, do you think it's working well? That's a great question, and I'm smiling a little bit because uh, we have been uh, approached by Treasury to take on more of the responsibilities for businesses that generally do not fall under the small business jurisdiction, but under our small business programs. So it looks like the small business programs have been working more effectively than the Main Street programs under Treasury. Uh, the, the challenge you have uh, under the uh, structure that has been set up, there's specific programs for particular industries, such as the airline industry, and then you have your Main Street programs, and you have your programs for small businesses, and then you have different rules as to size in regards to small businesses. I really do think we need more uniformity uh, as we deal with uh, particularly smaller companies. So uh, I would welcome uh, an opportunity to allow the Treasury Department to learn from what we've learned in small business to make these programs more tailored to those businesses that really need the help. And they're the businesses that depend upon large gatherings uh, that uh, have been really hampered as a result of, of COVID-19. So I think we can identify those companies through no fault of their own business plans have been challenged because their revenues cannot be anywhere near what it was pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you spoke about speaking around your state to many small businesses. Um, what are you hearing? If they're not talking about liability shield, kind of what are those top two or three issues that you hear over and over again? I think number one is, can we get our economy back operating? And they recognize that the failure to control COVID-19, uh, we're still in the first wave. We've never controlled the first wave. That they recognize that, that uh, consumer confidence is going to be key to their business getting back on track. So they really are anxious for us to do everything reasonable to, to contain this virus. That means they're, they're very much open social distancing and wearing masks and, and uh, making sure that everyone washes their hands frequently and doing those types of things. The point is, though, it costs some additional money. Uh, and that's why they said that first round, uh, the CARES Act was a lifesaver, but they're still drowning and they need another round. They have to deal with COVID, direct COVID-related expenses. They still have revenue declines that are pretty dramatic. So what they're saying is, Get the virus under control, put the resources there, but give us additional help until we can get our economy back on track. We all hope that will be sometime soon when a vaccine is out and the therapeutic drugs are available, 
So we just need a little bit more time and that's where Congress needs to act to provide that lifeline. And by the way, it will help our economy. The CARES Act not only helped businesses, not only helped American families, it helped our economy stay afloat. And that's what we need to do again. And that's what I hear, that they recognize they're part of a bigger picture, but they want to make sure they can survive COVID-19. Yeah. Another issue that comes up a lot, and I'm sure you hear it too, is rent. You know, people say, look, I can maybe pay my employees, I can just get by, but it's really hard for me. I don't have a lot of extra money to pay my rent. And of course, if small businesses aren't paying their rent, then those landlords are suffering, some of whom are also small businesses. Uh, how worried are you about sort of a big collapse in commercial property, particularly in different cities? Uh, this, this issue of, of, of businesses not being able to pay their rent. Heather, that's, that's a real concern. So that's why we need to do more than just PPP. The PPP program provided limited help, basically for an eight-week period, uh, where we covered payroll and some other expenses, including rent. But it was not um, broad enough to cover uh, the continuation of rent payments and other expenses that small businesses have. That's why the Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program was so important. And the first act we did was make uh, businesses eligible for idle loans. That was important because those funds can cover the rent costs beyond what was in the PPP program. But we recognize that many small businesses, particularly smaller small businesses, they really can't take on additional loan obligations because they're not going to be able to repay those loans, even though they're long-term low-interest loans. So we developed a grant program under IDLE up to $10,000, and that really helped. But unfortunately, the SBA ran out of funds and never really fully used that program. So now we're suggesting, let's take a look at a larger program under IDLE that would be a grant program that would provide a lifeline for those small businesses located in underserved communities that have had significant revenue losses so that yes, they can pay their rents, they can keep the, uh, the, the, the it not only helps them survive in, in paying these additional expenses, it also provides stability in the commercial uh, real estate market, which is important, particularly in communities that are desperate not to become deserts for commercial uh, properties. So yes, there's more that we can do and more that we need to do take a look at these programs that pass the House and the HEROES Act, uh, because it does provide a, additional help to small businesses that will help stabilize the commercial real estate market in underserved communities. Yes, and another uh, issue that comes up a lot when I talk to small business owners is a bit of confusion over whether they're going to have to repay these loans. You know, there was, if they used it, mostly for payroll, mostly to keep people in, in working, they're supposed to have the loan forgiven. It's supposed to turn into a grant under the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, Treasury has obviously come out and made a very streamlined process if the loan was 50,000 or less, so the smaller loans. Do you think that threshold should go higher? Like, do you think if somebody had a loan for $150,000 or less, that it should just be a really easy forgiveness process? Well, I, yes, I think that we should have a streamlined process. The purpose here was to have self-certification 
to make it a simple process and to have forgivable loans. It's been scored as forgivable loans, so the funds are there. But we want to make sure there is no um, uh, either intentional or mistakes made in using the funds where they were not eligible to be used. A certain amount must be used for payroll. Certain, so it has. There's certain requirements in regards to how the monies need to be spent. You, businesses need to be able to verify that. However, for loans under fifty thousand, I strongly support what the administration just recently came up with a very simplified form. Uh, relying on self-certification. Let's get those loans forgiven, but let's recognize that there's always a possibility of audit. Uh, we have suggested uh, a similar process for loans also between 50 and $150,000, a simplified process. Both Democrats and Republicans uh, are, are in agreement that we need to simplify this process. The, the, the message we gave to small businesses that these were gonna be forgivable loans, just use the money for the intended purpose, and the overwhelming majority of small businesses have done that, and yet they are having a hard time getting the loan off their books. So let's make it a little bit easier, but let's also remember, you need to have the verifications and there will be audits, particularly for those loans over $150,000. Okay. So I've got a few minutes left here. Obviously all eyes are on the election, less than a week to go. Uh, one of the issues, if Joe Biden wins the presidency from your party, he has said very clearly he wants to raise that minimum wage to $15 an hour. Uh, do you think that's really feasible for small business owners across the nation to pay $15 an hour minimum wage? The, the, the challenge we have is that we have not increased the minimum wage for a period of time, and therefore we have created uh, a need to make a significant, uh, more significant increase uh, because we have fallen behind. Uh, we have found historically the raising the minimum wage does not hurt small businesses, does not hurt our economy, actually helps our economy. Uh, I find that small businesses, their workforce is critically important to their business. Uh, and one of the reasons we passed the Paycheck Protection Program is so that they can maintain their workforce during this pandemic. But increasing the minimum wage establishes a floor. And small businesses are recognize that. And it, uh, over a longer period of time, it's not gonna, it's gonna have a positive impact, not a negative impact on our economy. So a minimum wage should reflect a minimum wage. And unfortunately, we've fallen behind. There's a need for an adjustment. I've always preferred doing it in smaller uh, increments in order so we don't have any dramatic impact on any particular but would you support going to 15 next year if it came up on the floor? I think $15 is a reasonable minimum wage. Now, how soon we get there is something we can talk about. Mm. And I think similarly, there's been some concern in the business community. If Biden wins the presidency, he's obviously said he would like to raise the corporate tax. That does influence and in, in what some small businesses have to pay. Uh, raising it from 21% to 28%. Uh, there seems to be some anxiety if that happens in 2021, just as the economy's trying to recover. Uh, do you think it would be too soon to try to raise the corporate tax in 2021? I do believe our committee, the Small Business Committee, should weigh in in regards to any uh, income tax changes, but the 2017 tax law did not help small businesses. We've done lots of studies on this. 
and small businesses did not benefit from these corporate tax reductions. Most small businesses pay uh, under the individual rate, either have passed through income or they have in, they pay their taxes through their, their personal tax returns. Um, so we have found that for many small businesses, for most small businesses, they didn't benefit from 2017 tax change. So what, President, what Vice President Biden is talking about would have minimal impact on small businesses in this country. We need to take a look at it as the impact. There are other provisions that are critically important and we're looking at expanding them, such as the retention credit. Uh, we wanna make sure that's a bill that I've worked on with Senator Wyden that provides real help to small businesses in bringing back their workers. So there are provisions in the tax code that we think need to be changed that will help small businesses, but let's make it fair. And what happened in 2017, the overwhelming benefits went to those that were, as, as Vice President Biden uh, has drawn the line, over $400,000 of income, as well as uh, the large businesses. So from the point of view of small businesses, the 2017 tax bill actually was negative. I think what Vice President Biden is talking about will end up helping small businesses in parity in our tax code. Senator Cardin, we're going to have to leave it there, but thank you so much for your time. I'm struck by your comment that small businesses are desperate right now. That's certainly what I'm hearing, too, and let's hope there's aid for them soon. Thank you so much. Uh, please stay with us. We'll be back in a minute with two CEOs of small businesses to tell us exactly what's going on in their world. I'm Heather Long, an economics correspondent at the Washington Post, and right now we're talking about the state of small business during this global pandemic. My next guests are two CEOs of small businesses. They've faced daunting challenges here in 2020 and found creative ways to get through them. I'm happy to welcome Tiffany Dufu, founder and CEO of The Crew, which helps female-owned small businesses and executives and Ailir Sila, the founder and CEO of Slice, a company that helps over 13,000 pizzerias in the United States. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much, excited to be here. Thank you. Uh, let's just start, maybe each of you can briefly describe a little bit about your small business and when you founded it. Tiffany, let's start with you. Sure. I just want to express gratitude to Washington Post and to Principal. I actually am having a bit of an emotional reaction to the intro to the last section. Um, business owners, we're not sitting on our couch, like eating potato chips, watching the 24-hour news cycle. We're hustling. And so uh, just to, to listen in on people talking about how much they care, uh, it, it can be an isolating feeling. And so thank you so much for doing this and for helping us to know that we're not alone in this. Uh, I founded my company two years ago. We match circles of women who collaborate to meet their life goals together. Um, one of the things about the company that I'm really proud of is that we really rallied together in the wake of COVID to support our members um, who are across the country. Uh, I do have a bit of a benefit in that it is a tech-enabled uh, platform, so we were able to pivot very quickly uh, to use technology in order to keep our business going and to still operate and to still provide value to our customers, but it was very challenging uh, to keep the doors open, and I, was, I had to raise 
raise another round of capital in order to do it. I was battling COVID myself. Um, so it, it was challenging. And uh, I, I think that the more that we can do to support small business owners, the better. Hmm. Yeah, um, with uh, Slice, uh, founded the company in 2010. Our mission is to keep local thriving. Uh, we bring technology, data, marketing, and e-commerce solutions to the independent uh, small business pizza industry. Uh, today, we work with nearly 14,000 locations nationwide. Uh, and as we say, we help small business owners be in business for themselves, not by themselves. Um, and it's, again, our mission to keep local thriving by forming this fragmented, uh, or really converting this fragmented industry into a community where everyone is working together for a common cause. Yeah. You both have touched a little bit on it already, but obviously 2020 has been a crazy year, a pandemic, a recession, many more issues. Could you both just say two or three ways that your business has been deeply impacted? Aylia, why don't we start with you? Absolutely. Um, look, our, our business was directly impacted because our partners are small business owners, uh, independent pizzerias, really, fragmented around the entire country. So that there's a small business pizza restaurant in every neighborhood across America. And pizza is part of a fabric of, of, of America. And uh, the initial uh, sort of adjustment to the pandemic was just stay at home orders. And there was a lot of uncertainty from small business owners around their business and whether they would be able to uh, continue to remain open. Uh, and what we saw directly was the uh, the grit and the tenacity that exists in uh, across all of these small businesses as they found a way to overcome all these challenges and remain open as a um, really a necessary business within these neighborhoods to continue to support their communities and provide much needed food and takeout and delivery to, uh, to families across America. Uh, and so for us as a company, first challenge was how to make sure that we continue to support these small businesses while we ourselves faced a big challenge in migrating our team of 700 people globally to work remotely. Um, and I'm incredibly proud of our team for overcoming that big challenge, but really we were inspired by the small business owners who have remained open throughout this uh, pandemic and continue to provide um, amazing delicious food to families across America. And Aylia, let me just follow up. Are, are your 700 employees still mostly working remotely today or is it a mix of people back in office and a remote? Uh, no. we, yeah, we remain, um, we remain fully remote um, and our uh, teams continue to step up every single day. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, just taking a lot of inspiration from small business owners across the country who have risked their, their lives, to be honest, in order to make sure that they continue to provide for their own families, but also uh, be there for their communities who have supported them throughout the years. Tiffany, what about you? I, I was just struck when you said you yourself was were battling coronavirus at one point. Uh, this seems like quite a year for you. 
Yes, absolutely. And thank you for the work that, that you're doing. Our family has definitely benefited from the local pizzeria. Um, so, so thank you for that. Uh, yes, probably the biggest uh, hit to the crew has to do with our model. Uh, our women who apply to the crew and that we match in circles met in person uh, across the mm -hmm. country. And what happened immediately was that obviously they would not be able to do that. And yet there are women who are business owners themselves, who are executives, who have families who in the wake of this crisis needed more support so we immediately had to figure out how do we move to you know a tech model in which our crews are meeting over zoom how do we shift our inquiry-based co coaching practice in such a way that, that it can work virtually and so it was really an operational lift uh, for us to figure out how to make this work ultimately it turned out to be a catalyst so you know sometimes there are silver linings in the wake of a crisis um, we learned that our model actually works better virtually for really busy women there's no commute they can nurse their babies during a crew gap Gathering. They could do their daughter's hair during the gathering. And so it allowed us actually to open up the platform and to start matching women by time zone instead of city since they didn't need to commute uh, to see one another in person. So in some ways you can learn a lot as a business owner uh, when there's there's a crisis and you really have to evolve. So that was one of the impacts. But again, everyone is hustling. I did have to battle and manage my own health. Uh, you know, we're as business owners, we're not just business owners, uh, we're parents. Uh, you've got to manage your kids who are doing, you know, homeschooling and trying to do all of this virtually. I was battling my own health. I think it's important to note that particularly for black business owners, there is also the weight of the breaking of black bodies all of a sudden becoming breaking news and the Black Lives Matter movement, nearly half of small businesses that are run by black people that are black owned have already been wiped out. And some of them are mm. the backbones of our communities. And so I think not having access to the capital is a real challenge. Not banking with a bank that had a process that was streamlined is a, definitely a challenge. And I think the more that we can support these businesses with having operational efficiency and using technology uh, in a way to support them in moving forward, I, I think it's going to be really challenging. I was noticing that the business that did the best in the wake of COVID in my neighbor, there are restaurants on every corner uh, on my block. And the one that did the best was the Mexican restaurant that already had online ordering in place. They already had a digital business in place. That was the one that did the best. And we've just been spending our dollars on all the rest of them. Yeah. Tiffany, I wanted to follow up. You know, you had mentioned that you had to do, I think, some additional fundraising during this period to help you out. And I believe um, you told the Post that uh, you didn't have to lay anybody off, but you were trying to look for ways to manage payroll during and particularly during the height of the crisis. Talk me through kind of having to, to deal with those financial challenges and wanting to keep your staff fully there. Of course. I mean, as a business owner, you feel responsibility to the people whose, you know, livelihoods that are in your hands. It's an enormous responsibility. You don't want to lay anyone off. You don't want to cut anyone's salary at a time when their families need it, you know, now more than ever. Um, the crew is a tech-enabled company. So uh, we have a model that is has the potential to be scalable. We're already scaling it. And so I had access to a, a stream of funding that a lot of small business owners don't have, which is venture capital. Of course, the mm -hmm. challenge of going out in the midst of a viral pandemic 
an economic recession and everyone operating over some tech platform is very difficult for the venture capital world. So I really had to rely on my network, investors to try to get to people and convince them that you can make an investment over Zoom, um, that we don't have to have met in person, and that this is a company that can actually uh, execute on the innovation uh, that you talked about and the creativity that you talked about to get through this crisis and to really thrive. And so making that argument, figuring out how to get to the right people and make that case, it was just another job uh, that I had on top of the job of running the company. Yeah. Um, Amber, I want to turn to you. Uh, obviously, as Tiffany was just saying, and I'm the same, a lot of people have been ordering quite a few pizzas lately, and even more so than normal. And uh, I believe you've shared with the Post that uh, your business sales have almost doubled during this period. Um, you know, how did you manage that? Did you need to bring on more people or, or get more funding in, in the middle of this period? Yeah, look, um, as Tiffany mentioned as well, um, technology uh, really is at the forefront of how small businesses can adjust and obviously take uh, take advantage of the changing consumer habits, uh, but really they need to embrace technology in order to um, continue to thrive. And so the result of our business performance has been um, really small businesses for the first time being completely open and embracing uh, the change that is necessary and that digital transformation that is required in order for them to succeed in today's you know, digital first world. And so part of the reason of our behind our success has been, one, the existing partners on our network that had already set themselves up for success by adopting an end-to-end -end online, online ordering solution and a marketing solution for, for digital channels. But then we've seen an acceleration of small businesses coming inbound um, and looking to partner with Slice uh, in a way that um, that allows them to also participate, you know, in this uh, in this digital economy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, in order to um, fund those efforts and continue to accelerate our product roadmap um, and all of the channels that we've enabled for small business, and I'll give you an example. By joining Slice, and a small business pizzeria gets access to our world-class app, Google food ordering, ordering through Instagram and Facebook ordering through Nextdoor, um, and many ch channels like those, uh, just really with the flip of a switch. Uh, and again, in order to fund those efforts, we did raise a round of funding about five months ago. It was a $43 million round uh, that we're really excited about. And we introduced a new partner at Slice in KKR. Hmm. And can I just ask, um, there's always a lot of debate Everyone wants to help their local small businesses, particularly restaurants that are beloved in the community. From a customer point of view, are there ways that people should be ordering? You know, obviously your own platform, but you know, it, I, sometimes people debate: should you be using these intermediary delivery services versus ordering directly from your local restaurant, either calling or through their we own website? Is there any advice you would give customers who really want to help pizzerias and other local restaurants? Absolutely. Look, the most the goal is to make sure that consumers are ordering from the channel that is best for them, but also the most efficient channel for the small business. I'm incredibly proud about really our business model and how fairly priced we are as a first party solution for small businesses. And so the reality is that 
the consumer habits have to really evolve and change into uh, digital channels and, and small business owners need to adopt those channels um, in order to have a chance at succeeding long-term. The reality is that if we call, it costs more for the pizzeria to answer that phone because they need to have somebody um, there at all times. Uh, a lot of times these locations are owner operated and you have the owner really doing all these jobs uh, directly themselves. And so without a doubt, digital channels are the most valuable channels for small business. However, they also can't be a massive tax on, um, on their bottom line. And so when you look at third party solutions that are really designed more for um, new customer acquisition, um, you know, those have value, but they cannot replace your most important channels. They cannot be your first party solution. And what Slice does is comes in um, and we really become that first party partner, not only in empowering the digital channels, but we also find ways to lower the cost of operations through shared services and economies of scale. So I'll give you an example. We lower the cost of buying pizza boxes or the printed menus um, that you see inside some of these locations, uh, cups, napkins. Uh, we also empower the small business with data that allows them to be more valuable in the in the online world. Data around their delivery fees, order minimums, and really the the price of their of their pizza. So, so we we take a very different approach. Um, but I would I would you know to answer the question directly. By far, digital channels are the most important and valuable channels for the small business. It just can't be a third party. Yeah. So you two are in a really unique position. You both run small businesses yourselves and through the crew network and the slice network, you're in touch with a lot of business owners, small, other small business owners. And I'm curious, um, we just had Senator Ben Cardin from Maryland on the program and you know, he was really saying that he still hears a lot of small businesses are very desperate right now. Uh, do you think more government aid is needed? Kind of what's needed from from Congress and the White House in these next few months? Yes, more is needed. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it, more is needed. First of all, congratulations on the 43 million. Uh, that's still looping in my head right now. Um, just congratulations. Most mom and pop shops, okay, the toy store that's on my corner in Harlem does not have access to $43 million or the $2 million, you know, that I raised this summer. They absolutely need support and they need support that's much simpler and easier to access. Uh, these are people who actually don't have the bandwidth to read a ton, you know, to go into the wormhole of government contracts and websites. So I think it's the access to the capital. I think it's making it easy for them to be able to apply for this and to be able to get it as soon as possible. I, I think it's urgent. I think it's needed. And I'm particularly concerned as we go into the winter. Uh, I live in, in the Northeast where the weather is starting to turn. Already this past weekend, there were far fewer people that were sitting outside at the local restaurants. I think it's uber important that we get this capital to small businesses quickly. Tiffany, thank you so much for that um, vote of confidence. Um, I completely agree. Um, I think there's need, there needs to be really um, two things that have to happen. One, obviously more resources need to be made available to small businesses. We deal with micro businesses. These are, again, independently owned and operated uh, small business restaurants. And the second thing that needs to happen is the process at which with which uh, these businesses access this 
these resources has to absolutely be simplified. So part one is, are there resources available? But part two is, can these resources be accessed in, an, in a seamless way uh, because these small business owners don't have the time, the resources, the know-how, and, and really the time is the most important one to be able to go and, and figure it out. Um, for Slice, we've done two things in order to continue to empower small businesses with resources. Um, and we're really taking the um, funding that we've received in order to then deploy that in the form of um, valuable solutions for small business. One, we actually announced today that we've eliminated our fees for all orders below $10. Uh, what this will do is it will allow our small business partners to also embrace technology for the order values that are below, below $10. And really these are the lunch crowds uh, and consumers who are typically ordering for, for themselves, for one person. Um, so incredibly proud about that. The other one is Slice Accelerate, which is us stepping up and deploying $15,000 of technology, marketing, branding solutions, shared services to 100 locations, 100 small businesses um, as our first cohort in order to accelerate uh, their digital transformation. Uh, so really proud about these, you know, these two programs. And, you know, at the end of the day, government um, solutions are important, but for Slice, we focus on what we can impact and what we can control. Um, and that's where our focus is. Yeah, big news on the orders under $10, not, not yeah. having a fee from you all. Um, so obviously a lot of people are thinking about the election and I don't want to get too political here, but one of the big issues that I hear a lot of business owners debating is um, Vice President Joe Biden has been very clear that he would like to see the minimum wage go up to $15 across the country. And you know, I'm wondering, you two, um, what your take? Is it time uh, to do that in the United States? Or, or do you have concerns that that could impact your business or those that you work with? Alir, maybe I'll start with you, since restaurants, it would be a very hit, direct hit on. Yeah, of course. Look, a um, couple of things on this front uh, that I also want to make sure uh, I cover. One, really proud of our Democracy is Delicious initiative in partnership with Pizza to the Polls. Uh, we're deploying thousands, uh, in fact, it'll be hundreds of thousands of pizzas nationwide to feed uh, those waiting in long voting lines. 